Okay, everyone, welcome back to um, Nos Alliés, our, your allies. And today I'm really honored to have uh, someone I don't know. Usually all the people my guests are people I know. But this is somebody I sought out, uh, Ms., uh, Dr. Uh, Tim Stanley, from, uh, Professor Emeritus from the University of Ottawa. And I'm really, really happy to have had a few wonderful conversations with him, things to read, uh, things to learn about, and uh, I would like to share what some of the things that I've learned and get him to uh, tell us more. And first, I think the most important thing is to, for him to tell us about himself and his work. And uh, so, Dr. Stanley? Sure. So uh, let me begin by saying, uh, uh, as, as Mandrula mentioned, I'm Professor Emeritus in the Faculty of Education in the Institute of Indigenous Research and Studies at the University of Ottawa. Uh, and uh, I've been involved in, uh, in issues of racism and anti-racism my entire life, although it was only when I became an adult that I really realized it. Uh, I am born and raised in Montreal. Uh, and uh, when I was growing up in Montreal, I was uh, always thought that racism was somewhere else. Um, this is despite the fact that I am uh, evidently somebody who people read as being white, but that I'm in fact half Chinese. Uh, my uh, mother is born and raised in Montreal, but her parents are from Guangdong province. And it wasn't until the late 1970s that I realized that there was racism uh, against people like me. And uh, from that point on, I got involved in the anti-racist movement in British Columbia, uh, where I was living at the time, uh, studying my master's degree. And um, uh, and then uh, later got involved in anti-racism education. So I've been doing anti-racism education in one form or another for over 40 years now. And during my time, I've, I've had discussions with groups ranging from the chief of staff, the Canadian Armed Forces to um, grade seven students and many generations of university students uh, in there. My research is historical. Uh, my research tends to be historical, especially focusing on anti-Chinese racism in Canada and its histories, um, but also looking at contemporary uh, links between ways of thinking about the world around us and forms of racism. So, uh, currently living in Ottawa, uh, which as you know is under occupation as we speak, uh, but hopefully that's something that will end shortly. So that, that's sort of more or less who I am. I don't know if you want to know more than that, but that well, should be enough. Um, so I understand that you, you uh, were inspired to study this and make this your life's work. Um, is there anything that really stands out in, like, in all your contact with uh, all different ages? Uh, is there anything that stands out as uh, interesting? Uh, it could be uh, was, that was difficult or that was interesting or that was uh, eye-opening? Sure. Well, when I became when I became active in the anti-racist movement in British Columbia, this was during the early uh, late 1970s, early 1980s. Uh, this is a period when the Ku Klux Klan was organizing in BC, and there was a great deal of racist violence 
directed against South Asians, particularly members of the Sikh community. And I became became one of the founders of an organization called the BC Organization to Fight Racism. And over a five-year period, we investigated something like over 300 incidents of racist uh, discrimination and violence. Uh, and when I say violence, uh, people had their houses firebombed. Uh, there was at least one racially motivated murder that we knew of, um, and it was just tremendous harassment towards uh, towards people who uh, were in, in the community. And, and two things we discovered: so whenever there's a more spectacular incident. Uh, and we were talking to people uh, later in the week, uh, normally at this at Sikh temples. People would come up to us and say, you know, you'd have ten people come up to us and say the same thing happened to me two weeks ago. So what we were hearing about was the tip of the iceberg. The other thing we discovered is that you know, house families were living in terror, and the people who lived next door had no idea this was going on, just completely unaware of it. And once they were aware of the realities of this, they often were like, "Okay, well, let's go and, and you know, build support, build build networks of support, which help maybe not deal with the issues, but help to reduce reduce the isolation of people." And we also found that different institutions responded differently. So, the Vancouver Police Department was relatively good in dealing with this issue, as was the Surrey Detachment of the RCMP. But the Burnaby detachment of the RCMP wouldn't even talk to us. So, so, okay. so, so we realized that institutions are complicated. Okay. It's only later when I was looking into uh, uh, sort of more developed uh, anti-racist theory and research, largely coming out of Britain, uh, that I came, that I came across the idea that that racisms are not about individual bad people. Which is the common assumption. So, so, so a lot of people who do not experience racism in, a, in an everyday way, even those who do, think that it's something that bad people do. And you know, we have the image of well, of you know, some of the participants in the so-called freedom protests that's going on, or like you know, people dressed in white shoes burning crosses in the middle of the night. Those are those are bad people, and 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 we want nothing to do with them, which is a good thing. Uh, but uh, but but in, and, or you know it's because of somebody is somehow uh, prejudiced or ignorant, and uh, uh, and so we see this as an individual problem. And uh, as as one American scholar, Judith Lichtenberg, said, uh, speaking about white Americans, for them racism is in the head. So it's a set of bad ideas since they don't have it in their heads, which is a good thing. They're good people, uh, so racism is not about them. It's about other people, those other people with those bad, those bad ideas in their heads, right? And also the approach that they adopt to dealing with it is we've got to change those people's bad ideas, right? Um, but as she said, for for African Americans specifically, what she was talking about, racism isn't just in people's heads; it's in the world. Mm-hmm. It's always at play or at risk of being at play. Mm-hmm. And I think this is exactly the situation that we have in Canada and Quebec right now. That for most people uh, who are members of the of, of people of European origin, who who are, are if you want, are, are so-called white people, um, they see racism as about things that bad people do. Since they're not bad people, it's not about them. 
Uh, and while they may see racism as a as a bad thing, they underestimate the extent to which it actually shapes people's lives. Uh, and just an example of this, uh, recently, uh, um, Daniel Kwan Watson, who is a deputy minister in the federal public service, uh, wrote an open letter where he describes his experiences of racism. He is a mixed race Chinese person like me, although he doesn't pass for white. And he estimates he's had over 10,000 incidents of, of, of racist harassment. Uh, and, you know, it averages several times a week, it continues even today. Uh, you know, he talked about returning to Canada on a Canadian diplomatic passport and have the border guard tell him he needs a visa to come into the country. Well, first of all, with a diplomatic passport anywhere, you don't need a visa. Second of all, the Canadian citizen returning to Canada doesn't need a visa. Um, and this is just an example. Uh, you know, we see this in schools all the time. Uh, uh, it's often in schools that young people first ex have their direct experiences of racism, usually in the form of name calling and racist abuse. And, uh, you know, they talk to their teachers and the teachers say, don't sticks and stones never hurt me, you know, yeah, yeah. so don't let that bother you. But, but, but they never actually engage with the violence that has been done to the child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so the idea to me centrally is that racism is not about intentions. It's about effects. Mm -hmm. It's about the results of the things people do, whether they intend it or not. And it's about exclusions. Um, centrally, racism is built on exclusions. So, what 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 do I mean by that? Well, uh, it, go back to the example of the teachers. They are excluding how the child understands their experience from their engagement with it in giving this reaction. The teacher may well mean well. But unless they're sort of dealing with the affect and the isolation that's generated as the adult in authority, they're actually adding to the problem. Yes. And we know for many young people of, of color, uh, indigenous young people as well, uh, uh, black uh, Africans, etc. Um, there's a slow process of seeing school is not about for them. Okay. Yeah. It's for other people. Yeah. And, and, and it starts with the, with the inadequate response around name calling. Mm. Now, I've never met a teacher that doesn't have a, have a, have a reply, a strategy to deal with somebody swearing in their classroom. <laughs> Whether it's a good strategy or not, it's a whole other thing, but it's like, yeah. it's not interesting. Yeah. But racism is something, oh no, that's about bad people. Mm -hmm. So the second thing that happens is that when there's a racist incident, People tend to focus on the person who's the aggressor, mm -hmm. and you try to you try to uh, convince them that they're wrong, mm -hmm. or you know even somebody makes a racist comment, you say, well that's racist, I'm going to call it out. You explain to them why it's racist. You get into an argument trying to convince them that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. What disappears is the importance of supporting the victim, the yes. person who's the target of it. Yes, absolutely. they're being isolated. Mm -hmm. They're being excluded. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we need to think about is that racism is, as exclusions, is at different levels. So most of us are familiar with sort of the everyday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know some people who are more 
willing to make racist expressions or comments than others, and sometimes we may want to stay away from them, etc. But, I mean, that's at one level. But it also links to institutional practices. And institutional practices are often things that develop over a course of time, becomes just the habits, the way we do things here. Yes, exactly. And over time, those practices can exclude people. As they as 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 communities changes, people come in, or maybe people who have historically been there a long time. So, just an example: uh, a lot of employers, for very good reasons, like to hire the friends and relatives of their current employees. It's a good strategy. You sort of know what you're getting into, and you can ensure sort of you know kind of character references. But but the effect of that is, if you have a workforce that's already homogeneous. In a population that's diverse, it stays homogeneous, uh-huh. and without intending to, you've created an institutionalized exclusion. Yes, right? absolutely. And institutionalized exclusions then get reproduced uh, and become actually systemic. Mm-hmm. And the best example of systemic in, uh, uh, exclusion in Canada is is the whole regime of Indian Affairs that you know for 150 years. Has been colonizing Indigenous peoples, and as we've seen, as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission found, has been actually organizing their cultural genocide. Yeah. And and uh, and that's a system that continues to today. Uh, uh, and then we see this on the ground. So Indigenous people who have been moved out of contact with communities onto many parts of the country onto relatively isolated reserves, they no longer have ordinary contact with people. Uh-huh. And when they do come together, for example, in the local hockey tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. Often, often the racism just becomes becomes you know uh, completely enacted, and and people end up again excluded, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 so forth. But this is a this is a situation that has a history going back to the formation of this country. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing in all of this that I should mention is that the great Canadian. And I think Quebecois idea is that racism is somewhere else. Yes, it's not here. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere else. Terrible racism in the states. Ah, yes, absolutely. Right? Parts of Europe, right? Or in Quebec, it's on Canada Anglais. Yeah. Complètement racist, right? Yeah. The pushing. Yeah. Well, in English Canada, they say, "Well, we're not racist. It's Quebec that's racist." So, so it's always those others that are racist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to joke when I when I. Was talking to my students that you know, when I lived in BC, I heard about terrible racism in Ontario, okay. but there was none in Vancouver. Well, there may have been in the suburbs in Surrey, but there was none in Vancouver. Right? <laughs> and when I came to Ontario, imagine my shock when I heard that there's terrible racism in BC. <laughs> of course, I live in Ottawa, so there's terrible racism in Toronto. Okay. But fortunately, there's no racism at the universities. <laughs> well, okay, Open University they have problems, terrible problems. But there's none in the University of Ottawa. Yeah. Okay, we're not sure about some faculties, but none in the Faculty of Education. You know, this is this is a game yeah. that people play. Yeah. And and it gets and and the racist exclusions then get built into our cultural landscapes. Right. So so you know just if you look around the world that that you inhabit. What signs? What languages are represented? 
where do those languages come from? They're, they're imports. You know, it's, it's, it's French in, 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 in the Gaspésie, maybe, but, uh, but English, English elsewhere and a combination of English and French in, in many other places. Mm-hmm. But both our languages imported from, you know, the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. There were indigenous languages that were spoken in these places for millennia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and nowhere are they are or very rarely are they represented, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so it's easy to go around and think that well indigenous people don't belong mm-hmm. because nowhere in the cultural landscape are they are they represented. So they must be outsiders, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, Chinese is, is another example of people who've been speaking Chinese languages in since before in what is now Canada, since before the country came into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chinese community has its continuous traces origins in this country continuously back to 1858 in the Fraser River Gold Rush in BC. Wow. But Chinese people have been living in Montreal since the uh, early 1880s. Okay. All right? Yeah. But Chinese Yes, most people will say it's a foreign language. Yeah. So how long does a language have to be present before it gets the count as being from here? No, it's interesting. And, and then just the last thing to think about here. So we, so, so, so the common assumption is that people who are different, people who are not white, people who do not speak French or English in the right way, are are newcomers. And you know, a common experience that that that, that even indigenous people have have been, uh, report, but certainly people of color, Africans, uh, is is you know, somebody will ask where you're from, and when they say you know, I'm from, whatever, I'm from Montreal, they say no, no, where are you really from? Oh, I'm you know, born and raised in Montreal. My parents are really born. No, so well, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I have I have never been asked I maybe I've been asked that question two or three times in my life. Okay. Right? I have I have uh, I know I know people of color indigenous people who are asked it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And and you know an illustration of this some years ago a student of mine who's a member of the Musqueam when I was teaching at UBC in Vancouver a student of mine who was a member of the Musqueam band the Musqueam First Nation which was traditional territory is Vancouver was waiting just outside the reserve at the bus stop with her daughter who's 10 years old. And and the daughter was a bit rambunctious and there was an older woman and was getting on the nerves of an older woman who was there. So when they got on the bus, the older woman turns to her and he says, why don't you go back to where you came from? <laughs> and it's like, how can, how can you apply to that? It's like, hello, hello lady, I don't know I'm from here and you're not. <laughs> so, so but, but this assumption mm-hmm. that people who that people are étranger mm-hmm. mm-hmm. who don't belong mm-hmm. or at least ha- you have you have to have an explanation for why they're allowed to belong, right okay so you end up with this, this again an exclusion of people and their experiences on, on a kind of level of everyday interaction and I think possibly a kind of superiority because if I am yep. here and you came next, you came after, like, like my parents came here from Europe 200 years ago, so I am superior because of the 200 years that I have I've been living here or my, my family name has been here. 
I don't know. I think I think a lot of a lot of the racisms that happen are really look at a kind of superiority and inferiority a complex that people have and I think to I think that it has it's something to do with superiority and I'll explain I work uh, I also work with um, uh, a women's shelter okay and we do a lot of training and we just did a, a, a training thing that last week and we were really looking at um, different scenarios okay and um, the violence that comes from men and women we're, okay we're not going to just uh, vilify men um, in this we're talking about men and women uh, comes from a sense of superiority okay and a sense of um, I am allowed to do this or say this because I am somehow a little bit more superior than you which could come from I think who knows maybe it comes from a deep feeling of inferiority I don't know I don't like I, I don't know the psychology behind it but when we study violence against people either physical or um, verbal or whatever manipulation uh, it it really comes from a sense of superiority so do you think from your studies of racism that there could be something similar to that uh, yes and no um first of all uh uh, racisms don't necessarily have to be based on a sense of superiority, okay. but they do have to be sense on, based on a sense of absolute difference. Okay. That there's nothing that the excluded person can or peoples can do to become like us. Okay. okay. And okay. and it's just historically, uh, you know, we think they're all racisms are cast in stone forever. Historically, this is not true. So, just an example, during the early 19th century, uh, in the United States, in Britain, and in this country, uh, uh, Catholics from Ireland were considered to be black. Okay. They're no longer considered to be black. Okay. Right? And uh, there's premiers of Quebec of, 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 of Irish Catholic origins, you know? Two, okay. two Daniel Johnsons come to mind. Okay. Um, uh, you know. Uh, it's 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 almost a silly idea now. Um, um, but it but racisms are always based on forms of dominance, okay. and they're a form of dominance. The whole purpose of 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 creating a racism and people invent them and making an exclusion. Why do you want? Why is it somebody wants to exclude people because they want to create an inclusion? Because they're they're creating an inclusion in which they themselves belong. And then, therefore, they're the people who belong here, those others don't. Okay. So this is my place, this is not theirs, right? Okay. And that becomes a form, that is, that is dominance. Okay. Um, so, 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 uh, I'm a little bit careful about this idea that it's based on notions of racial superiority, okay. not necessarily, but it is definitely based on notions of what I would call racist dominance. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think the parallels there are, are in fact very similar to other forms of oppression, including including the oppression of women. Okay. Uh, and as I think you say, you know, in the case of, of male dominance and what people will call toxic masculinity, right? What are the things out there in the world at large that reinforce that, that enable that? And we can ask similar questions about what are the things that enable and reinforce 
the dominance, the racist dominance of particular groups at particular times and place. I want to be careful here. I am not saying that only white people are racist. No, I understand. Okay? That I understand. Um, yeah. Uh, the exclusions can also happen on the part of other groups, excluding people who, who look like me. Mm -hmm. um, but at least in North American context, that's rare. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, no, I... it's it is more a question of, of you know what's what's proportional, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so and so the the key thing to understand is that people do racist things without knowing or intending to do it. And the way the only way really of getting them to stop that is to try to get them to engage with the real damage to people that their actions are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this becomes a difficult thing because you don't want to put people at risk of even further dominance by, by letting the racists know what the effects are. Similarly with you know, men who are violent against women, you don't want them to explain to them, in fact, how their violence is terrorizing their women. It would make them even more violent. Okay, right? it, it, uh, but, it reinforces something that they're after anyway. It re yeah. Okay, okay. But, but, but for people who are, who are sort of beginning to question it, that, that becomes a, a, an, important, an important process to understand. The key thing, in, in my view, is to try to identify, is, 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 there's several things. So, so to me, racism involves four things. There's, first of all, there's many different racisms, mm -hmm. each with their own histories and consequences. So anti-Chinese racism is not the same thing as anti-Indigenous racism, as Islamophobia. These are all different, right? Um, uh, all racisms involve three things. Racialization, which is the social process of making race. This idea of creating two groups who are seen as absolutely different can actually be done without even mentioning the race. Uh, we do this often in nationalist discourse. Yeah. A, real, a real Canadians versus those others, or, okay. you know, uh, or a real Quebecois. Uh, uh, it involves the creation of exclusions. And it involves the, and, and these are people, things that people create, have made, and over time they can become invisible just the way we're, we're used to. Mm -hmm. And these racialized exclusions need to have negative consequences for the people being excluded. Okay. Right. Okay. So it's important to understand because it identifies what we, we can do in terms of fighting. So fighting the racism involves challenging those either or binaries. You know? Okay. So, you know, how long do you have to be before you become a real how long do you have to be here with your ancestors before you become a real kid of okay. and somebody comes up with something well i guess that meant that the two daniel johnsons were not real kid of you know? okay i think you know remy levac had anglophone ancestors too i think something like uh 25 of the people of quebec have anglophone ancestors mm -hmm. um the uh 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 so challenging those binaries um Another one is mitigating the consequences. So if people are being isolated and, and, and uh, uh, abused, finding ways to actually support them, to build links and, and support them, and uh, including support for the organizations. But fundamentally, it's about organizing to end the exclusions and create what I would call deracialized inclusions. And this involves finding common projects that can bring people together despite their differences mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which then teaches them that those it's not it's the differences don't matter mm -hmm. Mm 
-hmm. And you know, in this we have this this sort of lousy idea about what constitutes culture. So sometimes people assume their culture is completely different from ours, whatever the hour is. Hmm. Well, if I take the city of Ottawa today, everybody who lives here, right, is dealing with the snow. <laughs> you know, the same color of money in our pockets, or the same Mastercards in our pockets. Uh, uh, you know, the 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 this the, the, the you know ninety seven percent of everything we do is common. Yes. Right? Yeah. And and we may have different family traditions, different community or ethnic practices and so forth that, that different uh, that are different, but but you know, most of what we do is the same, really but from the fact that we live in the same space. Mm -hmm. Right? And and so 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 in fact that's a common culture. It's around those common culture that we can we can build things. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, there is studies done of this in the States where, you know, we brought black parents and white parents together in schools to talk about racism in the school. And they all went away more racist than they began because they had all their stereotypes. But instead they brought black and white parents together to get a new, a, 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 a crosswalk light from the city council. Okay. And suddenly people no longer saw those people as absolute differences, but as people who were working together. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing that can really change things. Uh, some kind of common goal which everyone can agree on, without uh, yeah. being without being um, clouded by other things that are not important. Let's say, I yes, I, I remember watching a documentary years and years ago of somebody who uh, did a trip. I think it, actually I think it was after 9-11. People were trying to get an idea of what what the world was coming to and and he went around to several different countries in um, in the Middle East uh, I, I can't really remember and he asked every single person what was their biggest preoccupation and it was the education of my children and I thought well there you go all across the entire planet everyone wants their their kids to have a good education and go far and yep. you know not yet and I just thought yes if we can just all come down to what is essential to every single person I'm sure we will all come back to probably the same thing you know and I think that's one of the ways that we can we can perhaps try and get by the the small differences and 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 also consider the differences smaller than the things that we are the same if we consider sure. it if our perception is that you, the fact that you don't yeah. celebrate christmas is not actually that important and the yeah. fact that we both want a healthy planet is maybe more important i don't know i think it's that's my own my own little idea but yeah i, I think sometimes we can think of these projects as big things but we can also think of them as small things you know small yeah. things within a community small local issues and so forth I, and I want to emphasize here, I'm not saying that the differences are not important. Okay. They're actually what makes life interesting. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, my, my, my oldest daughter, when she was 12 years old, was going into junior high school, and I was asking 
her what you know what she wanted to what, what she was looking forward to. She said yes because she was looking forward to meeting some interesting boys. Always <laughs> so have to be But anyways, because uh, the boys she had grown up with were not interesting, right? Oh. So so like, like difference in the world is yeah. part of what makes life interesting. Mm-hmm. It's part of engaging it, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, um, But it's about seeing what is common mm-hmm, mm-hmm. despite those differences. Okay, I wanted to. And building on I wanted to just touch on another thing. Um, like some people think that diversity in the business, in a in a the workplace or whatever, is sort of like okay, we have to hire. A, somebody diverse just to make the website look like okay we've got diversity here and other people think if you if you say what's going on with your organization you know you you have I, i'm i'm going to talk about a, a law firm that my daughter works for in montreal she went through the whole like huge she's just doing a work placement okay and she said there's like in this like hundreds of people in this organization and there has to be like two or three people who are uh, of diverse and my daughter doesn't look diverse she looks more a little bit maybe italian but she doesn't look diverse okay um and she um and she's she, she's not interested but i mean she she, she, she it, it takes a little bit away from her but what people don't understand is diversity is not Okay, we're going to have to hire someone unqualified to make our to make our platform look diverse. That's not the idea. It makes it really upsets me to think that's the way people think. No, we are saying take all your resumes and look at just the the qualifications, the education, and the way people speak, and choose the best candidate according to you know according to to. Uh, Capacity, ability, merit, everything—that's that's how that's personally how I feel, um, and I think that people think that hiring diversity means hiring someone less qualified, just to 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 be politically correct, and I and I and and I'm pretty sure that anybody who's hired by any firm uh, who's diverse would be like horrified to think that they were not qualified for they're not they weren't hired for their qualification i don't know what your thoughts you can well, disagree there are places where people get hired just to fill just to fill a, a quota and do an image an image change and 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 the, it, it it ignores the real issue of the sort of habitual ways of doing things within the organization that exclude people And again, those exclusions have effects, um, and, and so it's so it's not just about filling quotas, but it's also asking about why is it that you know we're in this situation in the first place? Why is it that we just we don't just why don't we have a lot of candidates for every job that we have of color and of you know of, of uh, quote diverse people applying? Mm-hmm. You know, um, especially in your city like Montreal, where you know you have what twenty thirty percent. 40% of the population are people of color and, and, and so forth. You would expect that to show up as you're hiring. Now, admittedly, you have a bunch of old farts like me who are hanging around you waiting to retire, but, you know, it, it's, 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 it's just sort of normal. When I retired from the University of Ottawa, it had 1,350 professors, right? 
actually including people in the central administration uh, who were like presidents and vice presidents, had 1,400 professors, right? Okay. Of that, there were exactly seven people who were indigenous. Now, this is a country with, you know, uh, four million indigenous people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's, it's like, how is this so? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so literally, you know, we were able to put them all in the same room because we knew who they were. Oh, no. No, it's a... Uh... Um, and, and so, so changing that is not just about hiring more indigenous faculty. It's also about changing ways of doing things that exclude indigenous peoples from normal ways of, of proceeding, normal ways of doing business. And that's an ongoing conversation. It's not something that happens overnight. It's a process. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about, you know, uh, going back to the law firms, if I was being paid a big consulting fee by a, a downtown Montreal law firm, I would first of all point out that, you know, there's what, uh, seven, seven point eight, 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 eight billion people in the world, whatever it is, whatever the number is. And, and very few of them like the people in the firm. Yes, exactly. And if you, you know, in a world of growing international business, you, it's to your advantage that people who come in with diverse knowledges of different peoples, different communities, different realities, because that's going to be the thing that ensures the future of your business. That. So it's not about just changing a few faces to, to, make, to make your website look diverse. It's actually changing the way you engage with the world. Oh, no. It's about ending the exclusions that have become your normal way of doing business. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's the one thing that uh, in, in rural Quebec we're still like really struggling with. We are just not there. We are just not there. We want uh, the, the, the organizations that want to talk about um, uh, best practices or the best way or are all uh, they never ever ever hire um, uh, uh, diversity not at all never ever and uh, like I, I do a lot of teaching for different organizations uh, different uh, government mostly uh, French uh, provincial government organizations and like I don't see I don't see diversity in the in their employees then I do a lot of the um, um, English language uh, tests uh, for people who are being hired, okay, for a couple of large organizations. And in the years that I've done this, I've had one person of dark, that uh, guy who was re uh, interviewing. That, so they get to a certain part in the interview where they have to have a, an English language test, okay? Of, uh, we do a, an oral test and, and sure. then I do the, uh, I do the, the um, evaluation and I send it but like in all those years I don't understand what's going on it just seems so so strange and then I, I don't know we're still like we're still and then at one point I did uh, um, talk to an organization that works with the immigrants and I said you know there's a problem with this because they can't the people that are being hired and coming are to do the the, the jobs on work permits okay are coming from other countries the people that are that are receiving them and looking after them and helping them are all Quebecers so there's, there's a, a real difference in ability to understand each other okay 
and uh, and when I mentioned this, uh, I was told, oh, they have one employee who comes from uh, a European country, blonde hair, blue eyes, you no, know? and she said, oh, we have diversity. Look, we have a. I'm like. That's not diversity. <laughs> that is not diversity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just the fact that she thought that it was diversity because the person was not originally from Quebec, okay? And that's that I thought, wow, our lexic is not the same here. Our vocabulary is not the same. For somebody to say diversity and another person to think something else, it's we're not even speaking the same language. So, yeah, we're we're further behind than Montreal even. Well, this is not unique to rural Quebec. Uh, there's, don't, I don't have to go very far from Ottawa to be in rural Ontario, where the axis of difference is Protestant and Catholic and has been for 200 years since they expelled the indigenous people. Uh, quite literally. Um, so, so, but I think the thing, the thing to think about is shifting the discourse. It's not about diversity. Uh, so even within even within what seems to be a, a culturally monolithic workforce, there's diversity of people of different genders, different uh, different sexualities, uh, mm-hmm. different family histories, different different histories in in the region. You know, I mean, yeah. so 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 this this is this is is there is 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 something. What it is about is practices that continue to exclude people. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, 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 and that's the thing to try to get them to engage with, right? That sort of what they're doing is that they're uh, they're without intending to, with the best the best intentions. Mm-hmm. Up to their maximum potential, mm-hmm. and you know they, they they're getting what they pay for. Okay. Um, that 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 they're not sort of uh, 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 using all the skills that these workers have who come in, for example, on work visas mm-hmm. to their maximum, mm-hmm. because they're they're failing to they're excluding from their own understanding from from the organization's understanding what these people's knowledge and experience and contributions could be because they're not really engaging with them exactly. as. People the same way that they do with other people, yeah. and and that's the essence of the exclusion, right? Um, and you know we we see this challenge. Uh, we you know many years ago there was a, 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 a the House of Commons had an all party committee on the participation of visible minorities in Canadian societies. It came out with its landmark report, Quality Now, in 1984. And the unanimous recommendation of all three parties on this committee was to have a federal affirmative action hiring program. Okay. And 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 this was something that was like very controversial, still is controversial. It's never been implemented, by the way, by the federal government. There's only a requirement for reporting. But anyways, um, uh, but what convinced them was an American executive from Texas who came up and testified. And he was brought up by the Canadian Manufacturers Association and so forth, and 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 uh, uh, and was told like we want you to kill this idea of affirmative action and so forth. And he, apparently he was a heavy set guy, Southern accent, sort of. You take your image of the bigoted Southern sheriff. This is And when he was asked by the committee about the affirmative action, he said, "Well, actually, my company is rather proud that we were forced to have it." Because it made us 
forced us to look at what our what our employees could really do and use their abilities to the maximum and it made us a better company wow wow Okay. And, and so that's the, that's the kind of flip that you want to get into. This is yes. actually about making us better at doing what we do, whatever it is. Exactly. So part of the question becomes, you know, what's this what's what's central and what's peripheral okay. to what you do? What's the most important thing? And in every organization, every institution, uh uh Every family, you know, there's bad habits that we've inherited that just become the, the way we, we do things. And sometimes it's like, well, they're actually counterproductive to whatever it is the central thing we're trying to do here. Right? So, so an example, if, you know, you have a nursing home and you have a staff coming in who are not being properly oriented to the situations or the conditions that they're going to be worked with, uh, whose skills and what they themselves see is not being adequately fed back to the employer about what's going on. You're not going to, I don't care what languages and so forth you have, you're not going to provide quality client service. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, that's the way maybe of thinking about shifting the discourse. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's not about just including them to be politically correct, yeah. but including them so that we are better at what we do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know, uh, and, and, and most racialized people in Canada and North America will tell you the same thing. And, and I think I heard the Barack Obama say it once, uh, you know, every black person has to study harder, be better, uh, yep. work harder. You just have to, you just, there's no, you can't have two resumes exactly the same. You have yep. to work harder. Okay. So yep. if you, if a law firm gets all kinds of resumes, they would do better to, if this is my, and I, and I found out very re- last year sometime about blind hiring and it's more it's done in Europe I don't I've never heard of it in yep. Canada you know where they what I would love to see there's is they some, an agency takes, yeah they take the in a, a hiring um, like a, a headhunters organization takes the resumes blocks out the name blocks out the name of the university you can see what they did but you can't see it's in Morocco or whatever you block out you you, yep. you block out any any identifiers okay and then you do the interview let's say by meet okay where the the camera is turned off for the the inter, for the interviewee okay so you pose you ask all the questions you know they they don't know the answers in advance so you know they're hearing it for the first time and you watch their reaction you can't have the facial you can guess maybe with an accent or whatever where they come from but like pretty much you're trying to do this as neutrally as possible and I, I would love to see what the results are after that and then like look at what the what the um within a week what the 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 um the the uh, how the person is accepted in the company and then after that six months and eight months and people could be really really surprised if they because it's not just on merit it's got to be on uh, you know how you how you how you present yourself during an interview i, I completely understand that but i would love to see that i think uh You know, I think that could be interesting. Well, this is being done in some in some institutions in, uh, in a, a kind of parallel example. The University of Toronto School of Music 
has moved away from auditions where they, you know you have the the professors three professors sitting there and the student comes in and they observe them playing the piano instead of what they have is the student come in and they play the piano behind a screen where the professors can't see that but they can hear the music they can't see if it's and a male or female they can't see the student they don't have a name they, you yeah. know they have just a number mm-hmm. and it's just and so so this really allows them to choose their students based on their performance quality not the Yes. Not the other thing they read, which is what you want in a school of music. Of course, of right? course. Um, yeah. And so, so, uh, so, yeah. Uh, this is an example of the kind of thing that 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 can be done, yeah. uh, and um, and is starting to be done. Yeah. Um, no, I. But but you know. I have hope. You can always. Yeah. I have hope. And sometimes also ask about about qualifications. I mean, one of the things that does a lot of immigrants uh, in Canada is requirements for Canadian experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, how do you get Canadian experience? <laughs> yeah. If, if everybody needs Canadian experience, you can never get Canadian experience, which is yeah. the effect. Yeah. Right? No. No. Um, and you know, there's ways around it, such as you know. Putting people on a conditional hiring, see how they do yeah. after three, four months, you know, after can, of, of Canadian experience, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there, there are there are solutions. Yeah. And so, so that's the other thing. This a lot of the things that we're ta- that this requires is not rocket science. It's okay. it's a lot of little things. Yeah. And it's about figuring out what's key and what's not, and how can we use you know people's skills and knowledge to the maximum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, going back to the example you're talking about the environmental crisis, you know, I, I, I don't know what the solution is to global warming, but I do know that the solution is only going to be found by mobilizing all the people of the world and all their knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. That's simple. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. We went over a little bit much time, but. Uh, no, very helpful. Very helpful. I'm, uh, I'm really, really happy to have uh, met you and uh, got a chance to talk to you a few times and read your work. And uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe as we watch things develop, uh, we can uh, meet again and talk again and see what happens. Uh, because things are changing in Quebec. You know, you you're the one that sent me the the uh, the advertise the consumer yeah, yeah the advertisements and I watched them and uh, that just came out last November we have the um, the uh, you know things coming up uh, society is slowly changing last night I watched to prepare for this I watched a few uh, videos on a couple of YouTube channels about uh, about integration I found also another document a really interesting document uh, Done at the uh, at a museum about integration. I can show it to you. It's a there's a podcast, a series of podcasts, and also um, a, a document. And uh, it was in the in the museum in Quebec, and it was really about the Quebec uh, immigrant experiences. and And they weren't they weren't afraid to hold back. They weren't holding back. They were really, and that was uh, it's fine. I think it's in, it's if refreshing for me when an immigrant can say how they feel without repercussions, without fear, because I'm somebody who fears what I say and I choose my words carefully and I keep people out of it and, uh, and uh, it's just, that's just my, my way. But um, anyway, I would love to meet up again with you sometime and uh, we can follow this as it, as it continues. 
love to. Hopefully, I can be in the Gaspé Z sometime soon. Yes. And, uh, look you, look absolutely, up. absolutely. Let sure. me know. Great okay. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. So I just closed. The... Oops. Hold on a second. I just have to.